I also don't feel like this should be like a high pressured lifestyle. You know, like some people are like, but I have less things than you. And I'm like, you probably do. I don't know. I've never accounted. Some things are part of those unofficial rules of minimalism that have made it into mainstream. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and my guest this week is Christine Platt. I'm really excited to share this conversation because Christine Platt approaches the concept of minimalism from a different lens. She is really focused on the why of, you know, why we are attached to the things that we have, why we we consume and, and get them in the first place. And that really helps to find the path to to living more as a minimalist. It's a really lovely conversation, and I think that there is a lot of both practical tips in here for for someone who is maybe struggling to downsize before living in a tiny house, but also more philosophical thinking about the why behind minimalism. I hope you stick around. I want to tell you about something that I think will be super helpful as you plan, design, and build your tiny house. Tiny house decisions is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It comes in three different packages to help you on your unique tiny house journey. And if you're struggling to just figure out the systems for your tiny house, you know, like how you're going to heat it, how you're going to plumb it, you know, what construction technique are you going to use, like sips or stick framing or steel framing, tiny house decisions will take you through all these processes systematically and help you come up with a design that works for you. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions. For listeners of the show, you can head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD to learn more and use the coupon code TINY at checkout for 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD and use the coupon code TINY for 20% off. I am here with Christine Platt. Christine Platt is a modern day Renaissance woman. From serving as an advocate for policy reform to using the power of storytelling as a tool for change, Christine's work reflects her practice of living with intention. She holds a BA in African Studies, an MA in African American Studies, and a JD in General Law. Christine has written over two dozen literary works for people of all ages. When she's not writing, Christine spends her time curating The Afro-Minimalist, a creative platform chronicling her journey to minimalism. Christine Platt, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for being here. I was hoping we can just start with, um, can you kind of tell your story of, of becoming a minimalist or your, your path to, to kind of finding yourself calling yourself a minimalist? <laughs> yeah, and then not calling myself a minimalist. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think my journey started the way most people's journeys start, right? Like I just had an abundance of stuff. There was I felt like I was always cleaning. I felt like I was always organizing. And I was just like, I have got to do something about this. And I think what ended up challenging me about the journey. It was like, you know, I thought it was all about decluttering. And as we come to find out, it's so much more than our things. And so I had to really start 
addressing just some, you know, habits that I had, spending habits, behaviors, right? The way that I thought about different things and approached consumerism. And that's what sort of like started my journey. So I started, you know, thinking I was just going to get my stuff organized. And then it, um, it turned into a true lifestyle transformation for me. And so, yeah, that's how I got started. Awesome. So you, um, what I, what I've really found different about and refreshingly different about your work and your writings on minimalism is that you kind of call out the fact that, that mainstream minimalism has a, has a real focus on aesthetic. Yeah. And you, you know, certainly aesthetics are important, um, but that's not your main focus. Can, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, again, it goes back to, I think the same reason so many people are initially drawn to the lifestyle. You know, we see all these images on Pinterest and, you know, Instagram and in all these different places of these beautiful, serene, (laughs) barren spaces. (laughs) And we sort of want that for ourselves. And then we, you know, a lot of people like myself come to find out that like, oh, you know, turns out I actually do need more than one fork, one knife and one spoon. Actually, I shouldn't have a lot of white furnishings because I'm super messy, right? Like you start to realize that, you know, the aesthetics of minimalism for so long, I feel, have been at the forefront of this movement when it's really about authenticity. I mean, Mm -hmm. every minimalist I know, even if they call themselves that or not, every tiny home dweller that I know, right? Like they're all of our spaces look so different. All of us, you know, have different things that spark joy, you know, if you want to say that. Right. But it's like, yeah. And so I, I feel that unfortunately, because the aesthetics of minimalism have made up more of the conversation than actually the the practice of it. Yeah, I just felt like a need to to sort of address that um, because, you know, while it tends to have a lot of us uh, become curious in this lifestyle, I feel like it also detracts from a lot of people thinking about embracing, you know, a tinier lifestyle. Right. And so like some people look at the images and they're like, oh, my goodness, I would love to, you know, have my space look like that. And there are other people that are like, there's no way that I could live like that, right? And I think what we all know is that all of our lives, tiny or not, are going to look very, very different, right? And so I just wish that folks had, you know, and I I feel like the conversation is starting to change, right? But I I wish that there was more conversation and, and information around the practice of living with less than aesthetically what it what it looked like. Yeah. And it almost seems like there's a lot of focus on the path to get to less, like the Marie Kondos of the world, the the organizers, the clutter busting. Mm-hmm. It's like all about getting rid of this yeah. excess stuff, which, yes, most of us probably need to do. Mm-hmm. But you're making a great point that once you get there, there's an act, there's actually a mind shift, a mindset yeah. shift that happens or that if you don't if it doesn't happen, you you end up just backsliding. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, that's why I started my book the way I did, which is like, let's first talk about the psychology of ownership. Yeah. Right. Because 
you can jump in and let go of stuff and find what sparks joy and let go of what doesn't, right? But if you don't really get into the psychology of why you spend the way you do, why you, you know, have attachments to certain things, yeah, you're right. I mean, you just end up uh, backsliding or you hear people say like, oh, I tried to be a minimalist and I just couldn't do it, right? And I'm always like, oh, it's usually either rooted in that not doing the inner work to understand the, the psychology behind their ownership Mm -hmm. or they were more focused on the aesthetics part of it and, you know, discovered they didn't really like the way it looked. Right. And so I like to challenge people who say like, Oh, I I tried, I I don't think I could do it. And I'm like, why don't you just try not to be a minimalist? Just try to be like a more mindful consumer, try and be a little more intentional about what you buy and allow and accept into your space. And, uh, you know, because that's really what we're asking, right? We're not really asking everyone to (laughs) be a minimalist. At least I'm not, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that just even the term minimalism has a bit of a some preconceptions out there. You know, Mm -hmm. this almost race to the bottom of like, okay, I only have, you know, I have five black turtlenecks. And so that my outfit is super simple and I can just wear the same thing every day and I don't have to make decisions and. Right. You know, one coffee mug, one fork, kind of what you alluded to before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it and it's just, you know, it's not a very realistic lifestyle, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, I do have friends who are what I like to call extreme minimalist, right? And like that is the lifestyle that works for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of them don't have kids. They don't have some of the same responsibilities that other folks have, right? And so like, trying to marry your life after someone else's who has like a complete is completely different from you in every sense of the word you know it's almost like setting yourself up to be super disappointed you know absolutely so it sounds like you're you're saying that you have to find your own path through this you can't you can't just follow someone else's mm -mm, that's my big thing man i'm always like you know this is minimalism but your way, right? It's like yeah. why I say you have to choose authenticity over aesthetics, right? If you are authentic and genuine about what you like, what you want, how you, you know, how you feel about certain things, right? Aesthetically, that may look very, very different than what you're seeing in mainstream minimalism, right? And so, you know, you have to just, you know, be authentic and do it, mm-hmm. do it your way. That's the only way it's really going to work, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, you definitely get at this in your writing, which is, you know, what the benefits of minimalism are just beyond, okay, I have this really neat, tidy space that only has like two pieces of art that I really love in it. You know, can you talk about some of the benefits that you see kind of beyond just the the aesthetic and beyond oh just that space? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, the aesthetic part, the, the, and, and not, let's be clear, not having a lot to clean is a huge benefit, right? (laughs) So aesthetically, you're definitely going to see something. But I think the biggest thing for me is like, I learned that I you can't just be intentional with with what you own and what you have in your living space. Like the Mm -hmm. lifestyle for me taught me to be intentional about everything, right? Because once I felt once I saw how good it felt to, you know, only have the clothing that I really, really, you know, wear and love to only have things in my space that, you know, make me feel this certain way or evoke this part, these memories or part of my life, you know, I wanted to be intentional 
with every area of my life. And so, you know, one of the biggest benefits for me was it taught me what it meant to live with intention, right? Of course, Mm -hmm. I saw benefits financially, right? Because I was more mindful about what I was consuming and bringing into my home. You know, I, I think it also teaches your loved ones a lot about who you are and what brings you joy. And it causes them to be more intentional as well about what they offer to welcome into your life. Yeah, it's just, I have so much more like time that I used to spend cleaning, I can create, you know. Um, yeah, the benefits for me are are endless because I really do believe you know, it, it's ultimately like a lesson in self-mastery in a way, right? Sure. And so, yeah, I and, and I think that's also what bothers me about the aesthetic piece, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm like, man, so many more people could be experiencing these benefits. But unfortunately, you know, maybe the images that they've seen or, you know, some of the documentaries or books that they've read or whatever that image that that word minimalism evokes or the images that are shown, Mm -hmm. you know, has caused them not to want to pursue this lifestyle. For me, that's just very, you know, upsetting because I do think it's a lifestyle that can benefit so many people that it's accessible to more people um, than we've been led to believe, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Are there particular people or just is there some low hanging fruit here that that we can all kind of become minimalists without really even realizing it in just one small area of our lives? You know, ironically, a lot of people are and they don't even know it, right? It's funny okay. when I ask people to like go through their closets, right? And so, you know, I'm like, you probably already have a capsule wardrobe. You just don't mm-hmm. even know it because it's stuffed in between all those other things. But it's like we naturally gravitate towards wearing some of the same things. We yeah. we naturally gravitate towards using some of the same coffee mugs and plates, right? It's just yep. Yep. oftentimes we can't really see those things that we that really we need, use, and love because they are unfortunately around so many other things that we don't. Yeah. You know, for the person who is just like, I don't know where to start, but I have to start somewhere. I mean, I always say, like, start with your spice cabinet, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> right? And go in there and find, like, all the old lumped together spices and work through there, right? I mean, there are a lot of different approaches that people can take. Yeah. And so, you know, I think if you're feeling super overwhelmed and intimidated, starting with something small like your spice closet, and because those are things that you really don't have deep attachments to. Yeah. And and some folks, you know, I encourage them to like start big and tackle that area that has been just challenging you for so long. Either way, the end result is the same, which is once you're on the other side and you have seen the benefits of, of how it feels having an organized spice cabinet or having, you know, that room finally tackled, it just encourages you and motivates you to want to to move move forward and do move more. Move forward and do do mm-hmm. more kind of snowballs. Yeah. How something that you said a little earlier made me think about and and I'm not a Buddhist but I I I have some friends who are and and I've uh-huh. I've heard them talk about how like in Buddhism you know you're trying to not have any cravings or any aversions. And mm. something that you mentioned about about clothes for example is just like you don't want to I guess my I'm not really sure what my question is totally but it's like <laughs> 
I'm sure you still see clothes and and see something that you like really want. Um, yeah, all the time. You, like, how? Yeah, I mean, I do. I love clothes. I, I you know, I enjoy buying clothes. Yeah. Guilty. Um, so, like, how do you? Can you kind of walk through what your process is? Like, almost like, do you talk yourself through like, like deciding store, whether you want this? <laughs> do you get rid of something? Like, how do you approach that? You know, I I also don't feel like this should be like a high pressured lifestyle. So I'm sure. not one of those people that like count, you know, like, some yeah, people are like, but I have less things than you. And I'm like, you probably do. I don't know. <laughs> I've never counted. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I feel like some things are part of those unofficial rules of minimalism that have yeah. made it into mainstream, you know, <laughs> media. For me, you know, like, obviously, you're going to be tempted all the time. There are ads in our phones there are you know when you're out so much advertising so many ads right um and so to help with the ads one of the things that i do is i don't have my credit card information stored Um, Uh. yes so this is it's funny (laughs) the what i like to do is have sort of something in place that makes me pause so i'll tell you the pause for the online and then i'll tell you the pause for the in-person so Online, knowing that we're going to be tempted by ads and certain things, right? I, I try to not have my credit card information stored in the phone because the pause for me there is having to get up and get my wallet. And I'm like, mm-hmm. do I really want this? Right. It's just something that we need almost like a little buffer. Yeah. <laughs> right. To just pause because everything is so quick, so quick and easy. And then when I go to the stores, when I'm in person, you know, I like to have different mantras that I use, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm, if I'm at the sale rack, I'll tell myself, it's not a deal if you don't need it, right? Yeah. Or if I see myself like getting ready, I'm like, oh, I really, really want this. And I like, and that's the thing, you can talk yourself into anything. So you have to <laughs> have to have mantras that work for you. Yeah. Um, and so another one that works for me is what's the why behind the buy? So I'll say, mm-hmm. all right, Christine, what's the why? But why are you really buying this? Right. Mm. Just something that makes me pause to think about what I'm about to do. And that pause, those two seconds, I have found to have been so powerful in in keeping me, you know, from getting things. I also try and just, you know, be super intentional about the stores that I do go to. Right. And so, you know, some stores are more tempting (laughs) than others. And so, like, if I just need, you know, say, for example, I don't know, toilet tissue, I'm not going to go to Target just to get toilet tissue because the temptations <laughs> oh my gosh. to just get to the toilet paper aisle. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, just again, it just all goes back to just being more mindful. So I'm very mindful about what I have on my phone, what, mm-hmm. you know, what information I have saved. I'm very mindful about what stores I go to, you know, and arming myself with those, <laughs> with those mantras to kind of um, keep me in check. I, I, I've found it to be super helpful. That's those are all awesome, awesome ideas. And I, and I appreciate that, especially the, yeah. as you were talking about like tempting stores, I was just thinking like how I am incapable of going to Costco just for what I went for, <laughs> just like incapable. <laughs> Costco's another danger zone for me. It's such yeah. a danger zone. <laughs> I'm like, I do need three pounds of pickles. I could, yeah. yeah, like I. Those just, pickles I'll are just, so good. 
Mm. So yeah, you know, because we can justify so many things if we really want it. Like I've found, you know, trying not to put myself in temptation's way. And then when knowing that I'm going to be tempted to just have something in mind. So a lot of self-talk, I think, that comes into this. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, looking at the minimalism space as a whole and like what you see on social media, um, it, it, from a glance, looks very wealthy and white. Um, both, and you've made this point of both like in the actual physical items right. and walls and, and furniture and all these things, but also just the, the people who the are people. kind of, yeah. kind of doing it. Um, and so your book is called the Afro minimalist. Can you, yeah. what is an Afro minimalist? Yeah. The Afro minimalist guide to living with less, you know, honestly, it's just a moniker that I gave myself, um, uh-huh. when I decided that my minimalist space, I was going to have to do it my way. Um, Mm -hmm. And because I have a background in African and African American studies, um, and that's a big part of my life's work, I decided to call myself the Afro minimalist, right? Um, You know, so really Afro minimalism for me is just a minimalist life influenced by the African diaspora. But you know, it's, it's a lifestyle that anyone can, (laughs) can adapt. Uh, if they want to, right? But I again, I think it goes back to doing minimalism your own way. So there have been yeah. other folks who, you know, other Black folks who are like, I love this aesthetic and this is what I want. I'm like, go for it, right? And, you know, ironically, the in general, the wellness space, lifestyle and wellness spaces are just super white in general, mm-hmm. right? No matter whether you're talking about minimalism or clean beauty, right? I mean, there have just been, I think, historically some barriers to entry for black and brown folks. Um, but, you know, I have, you know, a lot of the minimalist, a lot of the white <laughs> minimalist practitioners, you know, that you're referencing um, are dear friends and have welcomed me into this community and, you know, really gave me uh, a platform uh, to share my piece, you know, this is before the book and before it became, you know, a a thing like it is right now. And there are a lot of BIPOC people in this space, right? Uh, Diversify Van Life is, you know, a really great Instagram page to follow to see uh, black and brown folks who, who live on the road. You know, there are more black folks in the tiny home communities uh, these days. And so, you know, I think our visibility is growing, but I think in, you know, as a whole, like we were like 1% of what would be considered like minimalist, tiny house lifestyle folks. And, you know, again, you know, what we discussed earlier, I think it's, you know, very unfortunate uh, because those images, again, like they just give this appearance, like you said, that it's just like white folks who are wealthy who can afford to throw away a table, Yeah, you know, who can afford to say things like, I just got rid of everything and started, right? And most right. people are like, wait, what? Right. right? Or like, um, if I ever need this again, I'll just buy it. Like, Yeah, I'll just buy another one, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, the more diverse stories that we can share, the more we can show just the different ways that people live with less and that diversity going beyond race, right? Going also with like, disability, right? Going with uh, our cultures and ethnicities, family sizes, right? Like I'm always fascinated 
to see families in tiny homes, right? And the yeah. ways that they have made the tiny house lifestyle work for them. And so I think that diversity also just goes to showing the many different ways that people live with less in their spaces, I think is 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 probably the one thing that's going to combat uh, that mainstream narrative that we've been shown so many times. Yeah, yeah and it is it is something of a paradox because this is also an issue in the tiny house movement that, that representation of black and brown people is, is not, it's not representative of how many people are actually living tiny. Yeah. But you know, when you look at the space as a black or brown person and you don't see yourself represented, you kind of say, is this for me? You know, do I belong here? Can I do this? Yeah, exactly. So that visibility is so important. And I love that, you know, my platform has, you know, led so many more BIPOC folks to really consider this as a lifestyle. I've met just so many wonderful people across all races and socioeconomic backgrounds who, you know, our stories can be more similar uh, than we'd all like (laughs) to think they are. Like we think our stories are so unique. And then you talk to more people and they're like, yes, this is why I decided to live tiny. This is why. And you're like, me too. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's just, I feel like there's so much that we can all learn from each other. Uh, And I think that anyone who has the ability to pursue this lifestyle, like to be intentional, to be a minimalist or a tiny house dweller by choice and not by circumstance, right? I think we all, you know, have a privilege, the privilege for me to be able to say, this is how I want to live. Right. And so, even as someone from a you know a marginalized community, I still am privileged to be able to to be in this space and you know to share how this lifestyle has has benefited me. Nice. Well, one great question that we've gotten from our commu- our tiny house engaged community is um, this is from someone named Emily. I'm more of a minimalist, okay. and my husband definitely is not. Any tips for keeping me sane when the clutter gets overwhelming? <laughs> Oh, man, I get so many questions from couples. It's so hard, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one... You're of, a couples counselor uh, also, right? <laughs> I'm a couples counselor, yeah. Uh, you know, one of my dear friends who is a professional declutter, you know, she says the way that it works um, when she's working with a, with a couple is if one couple, if one partner wants something to stay and the other one doesn't, actually stays because one person wants it to stay right yeah and so I like to encourage people you know really Emily has to focus on her own journey I know that's so hard when you're in space with someone else but I do you know think living your life as minimally as possible you know and and again what's the psychology behind your partner you know having these things I think that also helps right is to understand why is it so hard for you to let go of X, Y, and Z, even though it's broken? Why do you want to have, you know, your old ratty t-shirt from yeah. high school, right? And getting people to understand their motivations uh, around having certain things mm-hmm. and their attachment to certain things also kind of helps with the process of letting go. But I think, you know, a lot of partners are inspired by seeing the transformation in in their partner's lives, right? And so... Unfortunately, Emily, well, I promise you won't go crazy, but you have to focus on <laughs> your own journey. Yeah. You know, and if there are things that you notice about your partner's journey 
that you feel may be contributing to his overconsumption, I think it's worthy of a question, right? Uh, Ethan, I've shared this story before about my dear friend who, uh, her husband, when he washes dishes, <laughs> the bubbles are like overflowing out of the sink and it drives her mad. And she's just like, he's wasting dish soap and it's this whole thing. And so one day I just asked her, I was like, have you ever asked him why he uses so much dish soap when he's washing dishes? And she asked him and he said, you know, I grew up really poor and my, you know, I live with my grandma and we got dish soap from the dollar store. And even then I was only allowed to use like one or two drops. And he's like, now that I'm older, I just buy the most expensive dish soap that I want and make all the bubbles that I want. Right. So a lot of times we're holding on to like unfulfilled childhood wants or some things that we've told ourselves. So a lot of it is getting, you know, to the root cause of, you know, why your partner, you know, has an affinity (laughs) towards certain things. Yeah. Understand the psychology behind the clutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's that's very helpful advice. Thanks. Um, there was something I think you shared it on your blog um, because, you know, I don't live in my tiny house anymore, but I, I do still live tiny. And so I don't have mm-hmm. a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And so gifts are always hard you know people want to buy you things and um Mm -hmm. you you kind of talked about almost like a gifting agreement this maybe this is the the jd (laughs) degree coming out coming up with an agreement which is just you know checking right here yeah exactly (laughs) checking with your loved ones you know if you purchase something for me that i don't need use and love you know do you want me to return it to you or um do uh, i have your permission to re-gift it or to donate it yeah, yeah, it's not a it's not a written agreement. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> but it is an understanding um, yeah. that I have, you know. And I I think likewise, you know, we talk about how you you teach people how to treat you, right? And I think as a big thing, when I went through a lot of my stuff, a lot of my stuff was gifts. A lot of my stuff came from, mm-hmm. you know, my mom. A lot, you know, and I had to just say like, whoa. So even if I stop buying things, if I don't manage what's coming into my home, it can accumulate back up just as fast, you know, and understanding that psychology of ownership piece, the power of touch, Mm -hmm. and how once we touch things or accept things into our lives, we feel responsible for it. So it makes it harder Mm -hmm. for us to let it go. And so I had to say, there are just certain things like if I know I don't want it, like it's not coming into my home. And so you try and tell people, you know, like, hey, only get me gifts that disappear like incense or soap or only do this or only do that and people are going to do what they want right and so you know I have to say like hey you know I'm trying to live with less you know I'm still over here letting go of certain things you know and as beautiful as this is and as thoughtful as the sentiment is behind it I know I'm not going to use it right I'm happy to either, you know, re-gift it for you if you if it's something that you were looking for a home for, or if you want to, you know, take it back and get reimbursed, you know, I'm fine with that too. But I just had to be honest, you know, like, it's just, it's just a conversation that has to be had, right? And I think that's also rooted in that authenticity piece that we talk about, right? I have to be authentic yeah. and honest and say, like, I, I really, I'm not going to use this. Like, I'm just not. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. I'd hate I'd hate for you to waste your money or I'd hate for it 
to sit here unused. And I have found that, I mean, no one in my circle <laughs> um, challenges that. Um, the few people who did early on, like, you know, it only takes like one or two times for you to reject something for them to be like, okay, you're serious, right? Um, you're serious about this. You're serious. Yeah. And so what I do is I'll sometimes get text messages with pictures of something. Someone will mm -hmm. say like, oh, I'm at, you know, X, Y, and Z. And look at this amazing Afro minimalist mug, you know, like, would you, do you want this? Right. Yeah. And so like, even that is giving me the freedom to at least choose, right. This idea that I have to accept something because someone got it for me. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's something that we kind of, we have to work through dismantling it, that it's, that it's bad or wrong to refuse it. Right. It's, it's bad or wrong to not be honest and to take something in that, you know, for a fact, you're never going to use and that it's just going to take up space. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely gotten better with that. Just saying, you know, I really love it or it's really great, but like, I, I don't have a space for it or I, you know, yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to use it. Yeah. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about Tiny House Decisions, my signature guide and the resource that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. It starts with the big decisions, which is you know, should you build a tiny house yourself or with help? Um, is a is a pre-built shell a good idea? Um, is a house on wheels better than on the ground and what works better for you? Deciding on the overall size, deciding on whether you should use custom plans or pre-made plans, different types of trailers and more. Uh, then in, the, in part two, we get into the system. So heat, water, showers, hot water, toilets, electrical, refrigeration, ventilation, and we're only two-thirds of the way through the book at this point. From systems, we go into construction decisions, talking about nails versus screws, sips versus stick framed versus advanced framing versus metal framing. Uh, we talk about how to construct a subfloor, sheathing, roofing materials, insulation, windows, flooring, kitchen. I know I'm just reading off the table of contents, but I just want to give you a sense of how comprehensive Tiny House Decisions is. Uh, it's a total of 170 pages. It contains tons of full-color drawings, diagrams, and resources, and it really is the guide that I wish I had when I was building my tiny house. Right now, I'm offering 20% off any package of Tiny House Decisions using the coupon code TINY when you head over to thetinyhouse.net slash THD. That's THD for Tiny House Decisions. Again, that's coupon code TINY when you check out at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. Speaking of, of kind of gifting things, one thing that's, that's helped my wife and I a lot in getting rid of things that we've like, you know, have some attachment to, but are ready to let go of or things that we feel like have value is to use um, the buy nothing groups on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Um, Love buy nothing groups. Yeah. And, and for, for people who don't know, they're like kind of local and sometimes hyper local Facebook groups for giving away stuff in your neighborhood. Um, you're not allowed to charge money for it. Um, and it's just, it feels so much better to get rid of something when like you are giving it to someone that you know wants it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I love buy nothing groups. I think they're great. Um, you know, we, are one here locally. Luckily, I have, obviously, I don't have time to 
yeah, be on there sourcing, which is probably a good thing. But I also, um, you know, it's hard for me to uh, get around to like dropping stuff off or, you know, yeah. like meeting yeah. up. And so I have a dear friend who is also a member of our local buy nothing group who kind of manages all that for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's been great. It's a great place for books, great place for like kid stuff, anything you can possibly think of. There's usually someone in your community who can use it. Isn't it wild? (laughs) I've given away bubble wrap. People people have uses for (laughs) bubble wrap, which I'm happy to have it not go to the landfill. There's someone who needs everything. And so, yeah, I I look at buy nothing groups and like, I imagine that this is like what our ancestors did, right? What our foremothers and forefathers did, just kind of asked around, went around, hey, you know, so-and-so is moving to a big girl bed. I know you just had a baby. Do you want this crib? Like, I figure, I, I, I can't imagine that that's not how our communities work before. Yeah. And I think what's so nice is that, it, you know, and I've heard this from so many people, so I know it's not just me. Like, you actually get to know your neighbors. You actually get to know yeah. your neighbors. You actually get to know your community, right? Um, and so, yeah, big, big fan of Buy Nothing Groups. And I think they're coming out with an app. Um, so that I think they already you have. don't have to be. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. But it's, it's not connected to the Facebook group. So it, at least when I checked out the app for Burlington, it was, it was fairly empty, but I hope it does gain oh, okay. traction because Facebook isn't my favorite place either. Yeah. I think they've heard a lot of, yeah. you know, folks are like, can we do this not on Facebook? And so yeah. I'm sure that yeah. app will be the new, the new thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to circle back to something, um, you know, you, you spoke really well and, and just kind of illuminated this the topic of like the fact that you have so much pressure to consume, you know, whether it's advertising or just clever merchandising or sales or just all these things. And that's kind of on the I see that that's like on the intake end of things like that's us mm-hmm. taking stuff in. And then it's like really hard to get rid of. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about like little bit more about the psychology of of why it's so difficult to let go of things that that we don't need or use anymore like and we know that logically but yet it's still (laughs) hard to get rid of it yeah i mean so much of it is you know rooted in our attachments Um, Mm -hmm. i think i talk about that a little bit in the book like why we're motivated to have certain things and then how we become attached to them right and Mm -hmm. so i think you know we all have to those things that are so hard to let go of that we don't really need use or love. I think that's when we have to ask ourselves, like, what is my attachment to this? Like getting to the root cause of why this is so hard for you to let go. Right. Um, You know, who gave it to you? Is it representative of, you know, some moment in your past or something that's aspirational for you? Right. And all the answers always lie in like, why am I so attached to this thing? But, yeah. we, but we never really go there. We're just like, oh, I can't really give that up. Right. And again, it's that. Why? Why? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and so much of this process and of this work has been me understanding that it's so much more than my things. Like it's so much deeper than my things. It's not really yeah. about <laughs> that thing that I can't let go of. It's like the why behind why I can't let go of it. Right. Um, you know, people who I spoke to someone the other day who really has a difficult time with their paper clutter. Mm. And one of the is we like 
dug through that and the why, the why, the why, you know, getting to the root cause of like, it really boils down to her wanting to make sure that she's never taken advantage of that. She Mm -hmm. always has proof that if anyone ever comes to her and says like, you didn't pay, you know, she can dig it up. Right. And exactly. But it's like, I said, so you got to go a little deeper, right? Like where, where was that first moment that you were taken advantage of that Mm -hmm. made this a lifelong practice for you, right? Like the, the idea that you will need a receipt from five years ago and won't be able to either go to the retailer or pull it up online or pull up your banking. You know what I mean? It's like, you gotta make those connections. And so those things that we really struggle with, those things that are really hard for us, it, there's, there's a deeper attachment or sentiment or reason behind that. For me, it was my, like, I was a bargain shopper. I talk about this all the time. I love sales. I, I, I just loved finding a deal, right? Which yeah. is why my mantra now is like, if it's, it's not a deal, if you don't need it. Yeah. Um, but you know, that realization came when I was going through my closet and I, saw all the, I just kept coming across things that had sales tags on them. Like I had never worn them, clothing, shoes, excess. And I was just like, yeah. what is this? Yeah. Right. Like what, why are you doing this? Why did, why are you so beholden to getting a deal? Right. And you start down this path of like, well, I love, you know, saving money. And I love knowing that, you know, it's like, but why do, why do you choose to do this instead of go for a walk? Why do you choose to do this instead of, why do you choose to shop instead of getting a yoga mat? Yeah. Right. And it boiled down to the end of the day, <laughs> Ethan, after I just like drilled down that why, you know, it, it went back to the, the joy that I felt in the memories that I had going shopping with my mother on the weekends mm. as a child, right. And doing that all the time as a child. And so that, and she was a bargain shopper. Right. Um, and so, you know, just, there was something for me in reliving, like there was something that it gave me, it brought me joy, right. It, it, it brought me, you know, just evoke certain memories to the point where even now, uh, if I go shopping, whether I buy a whole bunch of stuff or I don't, I still like to end the day with an ice cream cone because that's what me and my oh, mom used to do. <laughs> that's what you and your mom used to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when you do this work, like looking through the lenses of, you know, whatever that moment in time was. So for me, looking back on that time and remembering it through my eyes as a child versus as an adult, you know, like as an adult, I can look back and I'm like, she wasn't buying anything. Like we were just walking around the mall and it was fun and she might've got something here or there. But like, Hey, we were in South Florida. The AC was free. Who wouldn't be at the mall Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every weekend. Right. Um, but in my childlike eyes, we were at the mall. And so we were shopping. Right. So it's really this, yeah. you know, this, this self-discovery work, this inner work of really getting to the root causes of your attachment for certain things and your motivations to buy certain things or act a certain way, you know, like in getting to those attachments, like you have, you have to drill down deep. Yeah. It's important work to do if you're going to stick with this or even achieve it in the first place. For sure. Nice. 
Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is um, for for book or resource recommendations. Are there any any writings or you know people creating minimalism content that that <laughs> inspired you that you'd like to share? You know, I, I'm a big fan of Courtney Carver. She's a dear friend. Um, I love her book Project Three Thirty Three. Really mm-hmm. helped me get my wardrobe in order. And then I've always been a big fan of Joshua Becker. He has a book coming out this year called Things That Matter. And it's really um, helping us work through some of the distractions (laughs) that we have. Is there so many distractions these days? Um, Atomic Habits is great. Um, You know, I'm currently listening to the audio book, The Courage to Be Disliked. Okay. Good. Um, So yeah, those are some great, I think some great books, but yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful. And I, I plus one to, to Joshua, who's, who's been a guest on the show and Courtney, who Courtney published a guest post for me like 10 years ago when I had a different website and she's just always been so sweet. And I've, I've had the chance to meet them both in person. They're both awesome. Um, and I was going to ask you about capsule wardrobes, but I'm still hoping to have Courtney on the show to talk about. Oh yes, that is stuff. her lane. That is her. She that's is, her zone. She has helped me. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I you know I definitely was able to create a capsule wardrobe thanks to following mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. Uh, advice. But I think like yeah, Courtney's 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 the one for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well. Christine Platt, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I really loved our conversation and I I can't wait to share this. Same. Thanks so much for having me, Ethan. Thank you so much to Christine Platt for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including a full transcript and links to Christine's book and website at thetinyhouse.net slash 201. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 201. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.